How are we doing, people? Doing good? Yeah. Hopefully it won't rain too much today. I think the Santa parades are all starting to happen this weekend, so that should be fun. All right, so we're going to kick off straight off into Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us the child is born, and unto us the son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I absolutely love Christmas, and if you've been in this church for any length of time, you know that I love Christmas, and uh, my family know, and it's this whole big, big thing. And what I love most about Christmas is what the scripture talks about. It's the promise. It's the anticipation. And a lot of people seem to think that my love of Christmas stems from gifts and think I'm a gifts person. I'm actually not. My love language is not gifts. My love language is acts of service. Um, how I show love to people is through acts of service for them. It's not gifts, not in giving gifts. People assume because I love Christmas, it's about that. What I love about Christmas is the promise that was fulfilled. This was a promise given in Isaiah about, about Jesus, about our salvation, about all these amazing, wonderful things. And that's what I celebrate through this season. And I feel it. For me, it usually kicks in around about the, in the middle of September. I can feel it building. I can feel my spirit getting excited. And by the time we hit October, I'm there. So I'm secretly playing Christmas carols in the car because Craig and I have this deal that I don't play them in the house where he can hear them until December. But I can play them where I like if he's not around. But so I had this thing, and it just starts to build in me, and the anticipation and the excitement that this is the promise, and it's fulfilled, and we get to spend a moment in time, we get to spend this little festive season celebrating the fact that this promise was fulfilled, and the best part about it is that it's ours. It's our promise. And I want to talk specifically this morning about one name in this passage. Because we worked it out, we don't have enough time to do each week for every single name. So I wanted to focus on mighty God. I wanted to focus on what that means. Now, if we translate mighty God from Hebrew, it means strong or mighty. I think that's one of the easiest translations of Hebrew I've ever come across, right? It's pretty self-explanatory. Mighty God means strong God or mighty God. But we could actually translate this as hero God. You see, this speaks to God's supreme power, it speaks to his supreme wisdom, and it speaks to his supreme strength. Now, for as long as I can remember, I have heard stories of God's mighty power, of, of how he saved the Israelites from Pharaoh by way of the Red Sea, how he protected Daniel in the lion's den, and how he delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. And I've read about how he's obliterated armies, how he's wiped out nations, how he's silenced kings, and how he, say, he wiped out the whole entire world except for Noah and his family with a great flood. And I'm sure if you've been in church for any length of time, you know these stories too, am I right? They're familiar to you? From cover to cover, the Bible teaches us of God's great might. It teaches us of his might in his words, and it teaches us of his might in his actions. And like me, I would hope that you believe that Jesus is mighty to save, that he is mighty to deliver, 
that he is mighty to conquer, that he is mighty to protect, that he is mighty to provide, that he is mighty to strengthen, that he is mighty to empower, and that he is mighty to redeem. Do you believe these things? I wonder, though, sometimes if there's a disconnect from what we say we believe, which is based on the scriptures, and what we actually believe practically in our day-to-day. How often have you actually looked at these things and thought, you know, God's done all these amazing, wonderful things, but I don't quite see it played out in my life? Have you ever wondered where's all that power now? I've had those conversations with God. I've had those. Anyone else? Is, it just, is this just a me issue? No? You see, God is omnipotent. It means it's a fancy way of saying he has unlimited power. So God has unlimited power. There's no end to his power. He doesn't weaken. He doesn't become tired. He doesn't, doesn't have a dip in his energy levels. God is unlimited And his power, whether you believe it or not, or whether you see it or not, is at work in and around our lives. However, our ability to understand and to recognize the power of our mighty God actually determines if we will let it transform every aspect of our lives. Isaiah's prophecy reminds us that for unto unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. Jesus, our mighty God, came for us. He came for you. He gave up everything and he came for you because you are that valued and you are loved that much. And not only that, but he was given. God asked and he gave. See, God's mighty power is not trapped between the pages of our Bibles His power is real and it is available for us today. And it's not about just believing it here. It's about believing it here. Because when you believe it here, that's when it begins to manifest in your life. There are three things I'd like you to go away with remembering today and throughout the rest of this season. The first one is that God's power is at work in you. Philippians 2.13 says... For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. But I actually really, really like the way it says it in the Amplified. And it says it like this. So then, my dear ones, just as you have always obeyed my instructions with enthusiasm, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. That is, cultivate it. Bring it to full effect. Actively pursue spiritual maturity with awe-inspired fear and trembling, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. For it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work. That is, strengthening energizing and creating in you the longing and ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. I love that. I love that, that whole concept, that whole thought. See, Paul here is writing to the Philippians, and he says to them that you must work out your salvation with all fear and trembling because God is working in you. 
See, Paul's idea was not that we were to be afraid and not that we were to be fearful. What we were to be fearful of was we were to be fearful of failing to work out our salvation. You see, it's a failing on our part to not work out our salvation. And the, the, the fear that he had, the trembling he was talking about, was not because we were afraid of hell, but because we we're standing in the presence of the Almighty God, and the, the trembling was an awe-inspired trembling. Have you ever had those moments when you were doing something so important and your hands were kind of shaking a little bit? Do you know what I'm talking about? That's, that's the trembling they're talking about. Not because we're afraid of God, but because we should be filled with complete and utter, utter reverence for him. It should be a joyful trembling because we're encountering the God who loves, the God who's given, the God who cares for you so much. And we can take comfort from that because that means that there is a living well within us of unlimited power that we draw from this all-sufficient grace that God has provided for us. You will never exhaust it. It doesn't matter how long you struggle, how hard you struggle, what you're struggling with, what things were done to you, what choices you made that were just really awful. You have this all-sufficient grace living within you that you can draw from continuously. Because God has done and is doing a work in you, we therefore actually have a greater responsibility to work diligently with the fear and trembling regarding our salvation and walk with the Lord. But remember, we're not afraid of God. We're fearful that we're going to not work out our salvation. And we're trembling because we're in the joyful in his presence. You see, God's power working in us increases our responsibility. It does not lessen it in any way. We actually have a choice. We can either take God's sovereignty and his power and work to use them um, and use them as an excuse for inaction and lethargy in our life. I think of the story in Matthew 25 of the lazy and wicked servant. Right, The lazy and wicked servant was given something from his master. And instead of putting it to work, instead of being intentional with it, he did nothing with it. And there are so many Christians in the world today who have this well of all power sitting within them, and they do nothing with it. They sit passively. It is for us to now work out our salvation. You see, God's omnipotence, his unlimited power, should be a motivation for greater and more dedicated service to him. See, God works in us to extend a transformation not only of our will, but also of our actions. We are not to sit passively by. We need to be intentional on our part. The motive behind God's work in our life is because he takes great pleasure in us, and he wants us to be the best, and he desires us to be the best. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, and you're still the same today as you were when you first got saved, then I'm sorry, I'm going to tell you this really bluntly. You're not working out your salvation. You are sitting passively. And that is not what God wants for us. The second thing I would like you to remember is that God's power not only works in you, but it works for you. It works on your behalf. Isaiah 40, verse 29. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. 
and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What's really interesting is when it says the word youth there, the actual translation in Hebrew means Olympic athlete, the best of the best. So even those who are the best of the best, even those who are Olympic athletes shall utterly fall. I find that really fascinating. But I want you to notice, who does God give power to? Right at the start, it says, he gives power to the weak. To the weak, to those who have no might. But to those who are proud and confident in their own wisdom and strength will receive no strength from God, will receive no power from God. God's strength is reserved for those who know that they are weak and who know that they have no, no might. I don't know about you, but I know that I have no might. I know that I am weak. In fact, the longer I've been a Christian, instead of feeling like I'm getting stronger, I actually feel like I get weaker. So how do we receive the strength from, from the Lord? It tells you right there, we receive the strength as we wait on the Lord. The idea behind waiting, again, is not a passive sitting around until the Lord does something. Yes, God gives us strength, and, and we don't expect it to come as if he's just going to pour it on top of us like, like water over our head. He brings it to us as we seek him and we rely on him instead of relying on our own strength. If we are weak, it's because we're not relying on the Lord. We are also told that we're going to renew our strength. It is strength that we once received when we were first saved in those first moments of salvation. That is what will be renewed. Have you ever felt like your passion for God wasn't when you first got saved? Like when you first got saved, your passion for God and your love for God was so strong and so bright. And then it's almost like you're not quite there. You need to, you haven't, you've kind of drifted from that first passion. This is what he's talking about. That is what will be renewed, so that you will once again have that intense passion for the Lord. Renew is a basic, comes from the basic word meaning to change. It comes to mean to put on afresh. It means to keep putting on fresh strength. So when we're talking about being renewed, if we wait on the Lord, we are renewed, we're going to be putting on fresh strength. Every day, fresh strength, and I love that. If you take a quick look at verse 29, the word weak there, and again in the word faint in verse 30, it's actually the same Hebrew word. And it means this, failure through loss of inherent strength. It's, it's a physical thing, loss of inherent strength. But what's really interesting is the word weary in verse 30 has a completely different meaning. And it means exhaustion because of the hardness of life. Sometimes we're exhausted because we've lost the strength. Physically, we have lost. Then other times we're exhausted because life has been really hard and it's worn us down. But in both cases, no matter how you feel weak or why you feel weak, God is there to lift you up and to give you strength, if you will but wait on him. The other thing I'd like you to notice in verse 31, it says... They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
Did you notice the order of that? Does that seem a little bit strange to you? I've always thought that the order was a little bit odd, right? First, we're going to mount up with wings of eagles. Then we're going to run. And finally, we're going to walk. That's, that's generally not how we do things in the physical, right? First of all, we, we walk. Then we run. And then maybe, miraculously, with a little bit of pixie dust, you'll fly, right? Isn't that how it goes? Thing is, in the kingdom, it's always a little bit different. First, we recognize that we soar up into the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It tells us that in Ephesians 2.6. Then we set ourselves on the course to run, the race that we have to run. Hebrews 12.1 talks about the race that we run. Finally, after that, we're actually in a good place to walk with Jesus. It tells us that in Colossians 2.6. So you need to know who you are. You are a child of the Most High God who dwells with Christ in heavenly places. Then you need to remember, you have a job to do. You have to start running. He's got a, a race for you to run. And so you start to do that. And finally, after all of that, you're actually in a place where you can walk with Jesus. Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, But he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough. They are always available, regardless of the situation. For my power has been perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may completely enfold me and may dwell in me. So I am well pleased with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak in human strength, then I am strong, truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. You see, Paul had a situation in his life. He had something going on in his life, and we're never actually 100% told what it is, but most scholars believe he had an illness in his life. And so he was going to God asking for relief. He was asking God, please change the situation. You know, I believe in the power of God, and I believe that you can do all things, and, and I believe that you can take this. And so Paul is coming saying, God, please do something. And God's response to Paul was not the answer that Paul might have hoped for. It was not what he had expected. But God still had a response for Paul. And the, the response, of course, was, I'm not going to take that from you. And we often will close our ears to God if he does not respond in the way that we, did not, we are hoping for. When, God's, when we ask God for something, and sometimes God says to us no, and we don't respond well. And sometimes God might actually say to us, wait. And we don't really respond well to that one either. Typically, if God's not saying yes to us, we kind of we respond badly if we're going to be honest. Instead of removing the thorn from Paul's life, God gave and will keep giving his grace to Paul. The grace that God gave to Paul was sufficient to meet his every need. See, Paul was desperate in his desire to find relief from this burden and there are two ways that he, you can find relief. And it's the same for us. There are two ways that we can find relief from whatever it is that we're struggling with. The first one is by removing the load, by removing everything that is there, whatever it is that's causing you grief, whatever it is that's causing you pain, whatever it is that's come upon you and, and causing you to, to need God to intervene. 
one way of, of removing that is to take it away, is to literally remove it. The other thing to do is to strengthen the shoulders so that you can bear the load. We don't really like that option. Instead of taking away the thorn, God strengthened Paul under it, and God would then show his strength through Paul's apparent weaknesses. I was confronted with this a number of years ago when we'd had these words of prophecy about becoming pastors and that, you know, I was going to be in the ministry of the church. And then I got really sick with Crohn's disease. And this, this disease, if you don't know much about it, it's a pretty nasty disease. It ravages your internal organs, your, your digestive system. And, and I was so ill all the time. And the whole time I kept thinking, God, how, you're not healing me for starters. And that's a whole other conversation that God and I had. But I came to this point where I realized that God still expected me to do what he had asked, which was to pastor a church, which was to be in ministry, be in full-time ministry, to do all of that while dealing with the Crohn's, while dealing with being sick, while having to have bouts in hospital and, and, and surgeries and things like that. At no stage did God come in and remove it from me like I was asking. And at no stage did he say, oh, Trim, because you're dealing with this, I'm going to, you, you can just not do anything in the kingdom. You can just not have a job to do. You can just rock up to church on Sundays and just sit in the pew. That was never the expectation. The expectation was, I have a race to run, and even though I might be suffering with this thing, God still expected me to run the race. For a number of years, I struggled with that, and I finally came to me one day, and I was like, God knew, because he knows everything, right? God knew that I was going to have Crohn's disease. God knew that this was going to be something that I was going to struggle with for a number of years in my life. He knew how the challenges I was going to face, and yet he still expected me to keep running, which means he thinks I can still run the race and win the race while dealing with the Crohn's. Yep. See, sometimes it's not about him coming alongside and removing it. Sometimes it's about him strengthening you in the race. You see... To do this, for Paul, he had to believe that God's grace is sufficient. We really don't believe God's grace is sufficient until we believe that we are insufficient. For many of us, this is actually a huge obstacle, right? We are people who idolize the self-made man, and we want to rely on ourselves. But we can't receive God's strength until we know our weaknesses. We can't receive the sufficiency of God, of God's grace, until we know our own insufficiency. Through his infirmities, God made Paul completely dependent on his grace and on his strength, but it was all for good. Paul's continued, even forced dependence upon God made him stronger than what he would have been, even if he'd had revelations about this that made him proud and self-sufficient. See, many of us think that real Christian maturity comes when we get to a place where we don't really need God the same, when we are somewhat independent of God. The idea is that we have our acts so together that we don't need to rely on God so much, and we believe that that is spiritual immaturity, but it is not. That's just pride. You see, spiritual maturity is knowing that you need God more and more. God deliberately engineered debilitating circumstances into Paul's life so that he would be in constant total dependence on God's grace and God's strength. The illusion of strength and independence actually leaves someone in a weaker place. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is a triumphant cry of every Christian. See, what can the world do to you if you are firmly in the grip of Jesus? 
if you want lives of strength, we must also understand and admit our weaknesses and look to God alone for his grace and his strength for whatever comes. The third thing I want you to remember is that at the same time as God is working in you, at the same time as God is working for you, he also wants to work through you because it's never always about you. God's plan is always to bring others into relationship with him. God's plan is to always draw people to him, and he will partner with you, and he will use you. I think what happens is for a lot of us is we believe that I don't have my life together, so therefore I can't. God doesn't act work like that. He wants you messy, because your mess is what's going to speak to somebody else. In Acts 1.8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. I really love that verse. When I first got saved, this has got nothing to do with my message, but it's funny. When I first got saved, I got saved in a Pentecostal church, right? I'm 15, and they had this massive banner on the side of the church, and it says, an explosion of life, life Acts 1.8. Now, I knew that when you had a scripture reference, that that's usually what the scripture said. So I actually literally thought Acts 1.8 said an explosion of life. So then I, so I had this Bible, uh, which was just a good news Bible, because that was all, all, all I had. So I looked it up, and it didn't say that. So then I found all these other versions of the Bible looking for the words an explosion of life. That's not what it said. That's, yeah, sorry, that was just, so every time I hear that scripture, I always think, like, oh, I was such an idiot. I didn't know anything. But anyway, so it's one of my favorite scriptures purely for a dumb, nostalgic reason. All right, so that had nothing to do with anything. We should probably cut that from the, the message when you video that message. Um, 1 Corinthians 2 verses 4 to 5 says, And in my speech and, uh, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Often we don't want God to work through us because we don't think we know enough. We don't think we have the right words. We don't think we have as much knowledge as we need to have. What if I screw it up? What if they ask me a question and I can't answer it? thing is, Paul is saying here quite clearly, is he was not brimming with self-confidence. And this is the guy who knew the, knew the Old Testament inside and out. See, you know the need of the people and your own limitations will cause you to fall upon God in those moments. See, Paul wasn't rejecting preaching or persuasive preaching. He wasn't rejecting the preacher's ability to persuade with human wisdom. What he was saying in this passage is, it's the preacher's job to preach, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to demonstrate. So even if you're not a preacher, if there is an opening and you have an opportunity to share a bit of your testimony, a bit of your story, to tell somebody about Jesus, that's all God asks of you. And it's the Holy Spirit that will come and demonstrate with power. You just have to open your mouth and speak. But I don't have the right words. It's okay, the Holy Spirit has the right words. Oh, but what if I fumble my words? It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit will cover that for you. Oh, but, 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 these are just excuses. Just open your mouth and speak because the power resides within you, and it will come through. You see, we're not looking for a response from people. We're looking for results for the kingdom of God. Can I just have the band up, please? So what do we do if there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and what we practically live out in our day-to-day lives? Because we might believe that 
God works in us. We might believe that God works for us, and we might believe that God works through us, but do we actually live our life like that? If we're honest, most of us don't. So how do we do this? How do we reconnect so that we can say these things but also believe these things? Two really simple things. First of all, ask for eyes to see. Have you ever considered asking God for the ability to see his power at work around you? In your home, in your workplace, in your school? Have you ever asked him, God, can you show me? Holy Spirit, can you highlight for me where you're moving? See, the Apostle Paul constantly prayed that he would have eyes to see our hero God at work so that we could follow his lead. Ephesians 1, 19. Let them see the full extent of your power that is at work in those of us who believe. And may it be done according to your might and power. Friends, it is the same might and resurrection power that he used in the anointed one to raise him from the dead and to position him at his right hand in heaven. There is nothing over him. The power that raised Christ from the dead actually lives in you. It's a well that you can draw from if you just remember to do so. When you're watching the news or you're in the middle of a struggle or you're having a conversation with some friends, you just need to ask our mighty God for eyes to see his mighty power at work around you. The second thing you need to do is you need to receive and submit to his power within. See, how God is at work around us all the time, he's also at work within us. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to the God who can do so many awe-inspiring things, immeasurable things, things greater than we could ever ask or imagine through the power at work in us, to him be all glory in the church and in Jesus the anointed from this generation to the next forever and ever. The same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father is alive in you and it's alive in me. We just actually have to believe that here not just here. The word power in Greek means strength, mighty work, miracle, and might. But my favorite meaning is found in the root of the word duna, which means to be able. I want you to think of it this way. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you have the to be able living inside of you. That means that you have his strength, that you have his power, and you have his ability in you. Jesus, our mighty God, is your to be able. I don't know what you're facing, but he's your to be able. It might be a devastating situation. The doctors might have, you know, said the dreaded cancer word or, you know, family members have walked out on you. You might have have a loss of a, of a loved one. But Jesus is your to be able. Maybe you need a job. Maybe your financial situation is an absolute mess that the oncoming thought of Christmas and having to buy presents is so awful to you. But Jesus is your to be able. And when you can start to see his hand moving and his power moving, when it stops being, I believe here, and I believe here, you'll believe that Jesus is mighty to save. You'll believe that Jesus is mighty to deliver. You will believe that Jesus is mighty to conquer that he is mighty to protect, that he's mighty to provide, 
that is mighty to strengthen, that is mighty to empower, and is mighty to redeem. Because this season, that's what you need to remember. He's a mighty God, and His power resides in you. So I'd like us to get to our feet. I'm just going to pray. And then we're going to sing. And then we're going to eat ginger cookies. Be great. So you just want to close your eyes, just so you're not distracted, so you can't be swayed. Father, we thank you for the promise that this season holds, for the memorial that we can come, that we call Christmas, and we can celebrate in this festive season the promise that you have given to us. We thank you, God, that you are our mighty God, that you are strong, that you are our to be able, and that we live and we dwell with you in us. We thank you, God, that you are at work in us, that you work for us. And God, we pray that this season we have an opportunity to see you working through us. God, that we'll be able to tap into your grace, tap into your sufficiency, Father. God, that we would tap into your boldness and we would speak and share with somebody about Jesus this season. That we would tell them of what he's done for us. That we would share how he has saved us. We would share how he has helped us to overcome. We would share the miracle of our own salvation with another person, God. That you would anoint our words. Father, that you would open our eyes to see your spirit moving. Father, that you would open our ears to hear your Holy Spirit's words. And God, that you would anoint our conversations. God, you would set up God assignments for us to have God encounters with people where we can extend an invitation. And I pray, God, for those who are carrying great burdens during this time. And God, where you have chosen not to uplift those burdens from them, but God, that they would sense your presence strengthening them, that they would sense your presence just... Um, yeah, just giving them the strength to continue, to know that they can lean on you and as they wait on you, God, that their strength will be renewed. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.